Turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel, the 21st chapter. We go back to 1 Samuel 21 as we continue looking at the life of David. Today we want to talk about the land of the enemy. The land of the enemy. Let's look at 1 Samuel 21 and let's read in verse 10. And David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. This is the capital of the Philistines. And the servants of Achish said unto the king, Is not this David the king of the land? Notice that. Did you notice who they said was the king? Sort of proves what I've been telling you, that David was already the anointed king and Saul has been removed. Uh, even, even the enemy nations know this, but the people of Israel don't even know it. Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing one to another of him and dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? Interesting how in the days before FM radio that this traveled, this number one hit song traveled all the way to a foreign land. And David laid up these words in his heart and was sore afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. Well, that's almost one of those moments where you say, duh. I mean, you fled to the land of the enemy. How could you not be afraid? And he changed his behavior before them and feigned himself mad in their hands and scrabbled on the doors of the gate and let his spittle fall down upon his beard. Then said Achish unto his servants, Lo, you see the man is mad. Wherefore then have ye brought him to me? Have I need of madmen that ye have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And then going over into chapter 22, David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave Adulam. This is quite a different picture than when David was 18 years old or so on the battlefield with Goliath, is it not? How in the world could a man like David, who God said, don't forget, God said he's a man after my own heart. How in the world could this man go from standing, facing down a 9 to 14 foot tall giant, unafraid, not worried about the consequence of walking out on that battlefield with his shepherd's garb on and a sling? How does he go from that and that great victory that God wrought that day to what we see right here. He looks like a lunatic scrabbling on the doors of the gate of the city, moaning and making noises and frothing at the mouth like a mad dog. How in the world do we get from that glorious scene to this right here? And if you sit there and you say kind of scoffingly, man, that's pitiful. Well, then you're not getting the message that I'm trying to preach because any one of us can go from that high point to this low point. How? Because we fear and we take refuge in the land of the enemy. That's what he's done. He's left Israel and he's gone into the land of the enemy. Ask yourself the question, are you taking refuge in the land of the enemy? I hope not. So in a brief recap, so we won't be too hard on David for where he is. Remember all of the stuff that David has been through since Goliath. If you go back through chapter 18, 19, 20, down to 21... Very quickly, this is where we are in the life of David, and I'm focusing on the trials and the troubles that he's faced, the attempts on his life. In chapter 18, we see where he avoided twice out of the way when Saul tried to kill him with two different javelins. He threw it at him. He avoided out of the way. This was right after he had defeated Goliath. Highs to lows. And then in chapter 19, we read that he slipped away and he fled and he escaped. This was after he had killed 200 Philistines to purchase the right to marry the king's daughter, Michal. 
Well, actually, he, he purchased the right to marry another one of the daughters, but Saul tricked him and, and gave him a shawl. And then later in chapter 19, it says that he fled and escaped to Samuel. And this was after, again, after David had once again went out to fight in war against the Philistines and defeated them. You notice how David has a victory and then Saul comes after him. Something terrible happens. Is that not life? You have great victories one week and the next week you're at the top and the next week you're at the bottom. That's life. That, in a sense, listen, in a sense we are all having to take refuge in the land of the enemy because that's what this world is. This world is not your home. This is not the place where you will reside forever. And it's the land of the enemy. It's the world of the enemy. It's the place where Satan was cast out so that every day he is roaming about with his demons and his minions trying to stir up trouble. And not only that, you deal with the wicked of the world. And not only that, bring it home, you deal with your own wickedness. Your own human nature. These are constant vexations. Won't it be a relief to be somewhere someday where these things will not affect us? So we're living in the land of the enemy. This world is the land of the enemy. God created it for Himself. And now we see that Satan being turned loose and cast out in this land, this is the land of the enemy. Are you taking refuge in it? Because this is not, this land of the enemy is not your home. Your home is far away. Look away to the place of refuge. That's what we're doing here today. We're, we're taking our minds and our hearts and focusing on the true reality of what is coming one day, which is heaven that the Lord has purchased for you. And there'll be nobody in heaven going around and bragging and saying, look how I got myself here. The only reason you'll be in heaven is because of what Jesus has done for you. The only hope of deliverance that David has here in this land of the enemy is what the Lord Jehovah, Jesus Christ, whose name was not known at that time, the Lord Jehovah is doing for him. He fled and escaped to Samuel. That was a smart thing to go and, and visit with Samuel, the last judge of Israel. That was after David had defeated the Philistines. And then after that, you know, after Saul lay unclothed all night prophesying, obviously the Lord is going to deliver David time and time again in different ways. And so David still flees again. And he comes to an area called Nob, and that is where he encounters the priest, and that's where he gets the weapon of the enemy. He eats the showbread, the holy bread, which he, he, that was a profane thing to do. God forgave him, of course. And he lies. So he's lying. He's doing something he shouldn't do. And then he's taking the weapon of the enemy. And then in verse 10, he flees for fear to Gath. And don't be too hard on David. Because, you know, if, you're, if your father-in-law came to you or so, you got a message, you, you know, your father-in-law's out to kill you. <laughs> that would be a little disturbing, would it not? So David is, is having a difficult time. These are the wandering years of David. David is the king. God has anointed him king. God sees him as the rightful king, but he hasn't taken the throne yet. He hasn't sat publicly yet on the throne. So where are we in the life of, the David, of the life of David? He's taken the weapon of the enemy. He's fled to the land of the enemy. And let me just say this, child of God, when you lie... And when you eat food, spiritual food, we could say, that you should not, when you use the weapons of the enemy, it leads you to places you should not go. You're going to wind up in the land of the enemy relying on enemy tactics. And I'm going to tell you, God's children look foolish whenever they rely upon the weapons of the enemy in the land of the enemy. You cannot find a more foolish view of David acting like a madman. He's acting, remember? 
This is not how he really is. He's acting. It says in chapter 21, verse 10, that David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul. How could he be afraid of Saul after having seen Saul lie down all night unclothed and prophesy in the name of the Lord? It's really amazing to think that. But we're the same way. We're up one day, we're down the next. We're trusting one day, we're not trusting the next. And when it says that he fled, he flees, it means to bolt. I mean, he got out of there. If you remember last week, I mentioned that there was a man standing there. His name was Doeg. And he's a wicked man. You might even say his name was Dog, if you pronounce it another way. And he saw all that transpired there with David and the priest. As he lied, David lied to the priest that he was on a mission from Saul. And this chief herdsman of Saul is listening to every lie that David tells. And he's like transcribing in his mind everything that's taken place. And David can see him out of the corner of his eye and it makes him nervous. But he continues propagating a lie and it leads to terrible things. Lies lead to terrible things. So he bolted with the sword of Goliath, with his belly full of showbread. And he goes to Gath. He, it, for fear, it means to turn the face. It says he bolted for fear of Saul. It, it, the picture is to turn the face. It means to back away or to back off. Hebrews 10 and 22, listen to this language for us, for the child of God. I don't believe that David was walking in this language from the Scripture. Hebrews 10 and 22 says, Let us draw near, not back away. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to, pro uh, to provoke unto love and to good works. I tell you, those are three good things right there. He says, draw near. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us consider one another. If you spent your time focusing on those three things right there, you would not have any other time to draw back. <laughs> let us draw near. Let us hold fast and let us consider one another. He says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. When's the last time, a couple days before church, when's the last time you reached out to somebody and just said, hey, I can't wait to see you at church? That's what that means right there. And we have no excuse today, don't we? Because we got texts, we got email, we got telegrams, we got smoke signals. I mean, there's so many different ways that you can send a signal to someone and say, I can't wait to see you. So much the more as we see the day approaching. Not only that, I hope you would do that with each other and encourage one another, but I would love to hear from you. But you know, usually what it is with the preacher, somebody calls up, you know, like four or five days before church and they say, you know, like this will be like Wednesday. They say, well, look, I got a headache. I'm not going to make it Sunday. And I'm like, you want some ibuprofen? I got some. I take it all the time. I've even taken some stuff called Excedrin. It's amazing. You know, don't give up yet. It's Wednesday. You might be better by Saturday. You might wake up and feel good Sunday morning. <laughs> I'd love to hear from you. It would provoke me to love to hear from you. I can't wait to see you Sunday, Brother Tim. Or one another. Can't wait to see you Sunday. That's what that says right there. Let us consider one another. And let us provoke one another to love. And let us draw near to one another. And he says, so much the more as you see the day approaching. And now in verse 38 of Hebrews 10, he says, Now the just shall live by faith. Is David living by faith, fleeing to the land of the enemy? I don't think so. But if any man draw back... My soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them that draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. You see, that has to do with our belief. It has to do with our discipleship. It has to do with the use of our faith. David is not making very good use of his faith. And don't be too hard on him, as I said, because neither do we 
from time to time, maybe too many times. You know, there's a a saying, I'm going to preach a sermon on it one day. I hadn't got to it yet, but there's a saying that I love, and it's the heat shows the heart. You take one letter out of heart, the R, and you've got heat. The heat shows the heart. And David is under great heat. He's under great stress and anxiety and pressure. And when you get pressured, whenever the pressure comes upon you, it shows your heart. You know, do you you flee to the land of the enemy in those times? Or do you humble yourself and say, Lord, help me through this? I'm going to show you what the land of the enemy is for us today here in just a few minutes. You know, as we've been looking at this life of David, we have seen how the Psalms play into this. There are multiple psalms that David wrote while he was on the run. And you're going to see a great contrast. If you pay attention and listen from week to week, you're going to see a lot of contrast in the psalms, particularly the one today, which when we find David here before the king of Gath and all of the king of Gath, the Philistine troops are are surrounded him and he starts acting like a madman, we find him at least later. We know he didn't write it at the moment. But later he writes of this situation, he writes Psalm 56. You want to turn there and look at Psalm 56 and see how dreadful this is, how dark this is, how he's crying out in a moment, by the way, which he has put himself in. He put himself in this moment. He chose to go to the land of the enemy. In Psalm 56, this is David crying out to the Lord, thinking he's about to be killed by the Philistines. Now, I want to point out to you, some of your Bibles will have a heading over this particular psalm, and other psalms will have a heading. And, you know, sometimes we just ignore that. And I'm not going to preach a sermon on it today, but I want to point out to you the heading, because this is like in our hymn books where we have numbers, like number 183, number 210, number whatever. And then it has a title, right? You know, like, think of a different title, Come Unto Me, or think of titles that you like or songs that you call out. It has a title. And then, of course, over here to the side in the hymn books, it has like a 4-4 or a 3-4. So you know the beat of the music. That's what this is at the beginning of the psalm. In the Hebrew, that's the way they determine how are we going to sing this. Is it a melancholy tune? Is it a happy tune? I mean, think about the difference between this and another psalm where David says, my heart is indicting a good matter. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. That's happy, is it not? This is melancholy. And that's what these words mean. He says to the chief musician upon, let me pronounce it right, Janath Elam Rekoim. Okay, Mitchtam of David. That means poem of David or psalm of David. When the Philistines took him in Gath. So the headings have meaning. Okay, so this is David in a melancholy state. The, the literal translation of that weird word that I just pronounced, Janath Elam Rekoim, is the silent dove of far off places. That's the literal translation of that heading for Psalm 56. The silent dove of far off places. You see, David, that is how he felt at this moment. He's off in a foreign land. He shouldn't have gone to this place. And he's over here about to be taken and possibly killed. We know the Lord's not going to allow that. But here he is, and he feels like a silent dove in far off places. I'm just a stranger. It made me think of one of those old bluegrass songs. I am the man of constant sorrow. That's one of my favorites. You know, here's David saying, I am the man of constant sorrow. I'm like a mournful dove, a silent dove. I can't even make a noise. And you know, a dove doesn't make much noise, do they? Just a little cooing noise. Here he is in in a far off land and he feels like a silent dove in far off places. And he says this, listen to what he says. Be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresseth me. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up. See what's on his mind? For they be many that fight against me, O thou most high. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. 
I believe at this moment when David finally realizes what a foolish decision he's made, he's like, at this point, he's like, well, now I guess I'll trust in the Lord. He sounds like me a lot growing up because I would decide to do something. I would say, this is the route that I'm going to go. This is what's best for me. And then I would pray to the Lord and say, Lord, now bless my route that I've chosen. (laughs) That's not a good way to do it. The way to do it is to say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Lord, where would you have me to go? And Lord, guide me in that. And I'm not going to make a move until you open that door. You know, that, the way I just described it, it doesn't mean that all of your answers are going to come just like that. But it does mean that you're going to have a lot more peace and certainty in the decisions that you make. If you ask the Lord first, instead of saying, well, I'm just going to go this route. Next thing you know, you're in a mess. Lord, get me out of this. That's what David is doing right here. He's gone the route he wanted to go. He's made the choice that he thought was best for him. With, as a side note, have you seen him ask God anything at this point? Y'all notice that? You're going to find in the, in the days ahead, in the messages ahead, he does ask God, what do I need to do? And we have not seen David ask God one single thing yet, have we? He's not asking God what to do. And he's getting himself into messes. And he's winding up in the land of the enemy with the weapons of the enemy. And he's in a pickle. He's in a mess. Lord, get me out of this. What time I'm afraid I will trust in thee. and God, I will praise his word. In God, I put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. That's very bold, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Very bold to say that right there, isn't it? When he's surrounded by Philistines. Every day they rest my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps. When they wait for my soul, shall they escape by iniquity? And not anger cast down the people, O God. Now listen to the language. I want to to read this whole thing. It's not very long. Thou tellest my wanderings. Lord, you know my wanderings. Put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? Isn't that comforting to know? That's the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That the Lord has full knowledge of every single tear that you have ever wept, that's ever rolled down your cheek. That's amazing, isn't it? And sometimes when we're in the moments of those tears, we think, nobody knows me. Nobody cares. The old song, you know, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody's listening. There's nobody there for me. But I assure you under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the Lord knows your tears. And He'll wipe every last tear away one day. And there'll be a land of no tears. Not a land of the enemy. The land of the enemy just brings you tears. When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is with me. Excuse me, for God is for me. In God will I praise His Word. In the Lord will I praise His Word. See, David is turning here. He's starting to look to, to the Lord. He's like, how in the world did I get myself in this predicament? I'm not supposed to be in the land of the enemy. And child of grace, you don't belong in the land of the enemy. Your ultimate end is not to be in the land of the enemy. So how do you get through the land of the enemy as you travel along, as you sojourn here, as you wander here? Definitely not by doing what David has done and winding up in the land of the Philistines. And he's realizing that. And that's important to understand because of where he is about to go after he leaves the land of the enemy. He's finally going to start following the Lord. I'm not saying it's going to be wine and roses for David. It's not going to be perfect. But he at least is finally going to follow the Lord. He says, for God is with me and God will I praise His Word and the Lord will I praise his word. In God have I put my trust. There's a turning for David. Before he hasn't put his trust in the Lord. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. That's a bold statement coming from a man who it says in verse 10 of chapter 21, 1 Samuel, it says that he fled for fear of Saul. And now he says, 
I will not be afraid what Saul, what man can do unto me, what the Philistines can do unto me. Thy vows are upon me. How about that, child of God? He's having a revelation. He's having a Holy Ghost experience, is he not? Don't underestimate the power of the Holy Ghost. Don't underestimate the power of the Holy Ghost to be present in your life on a daily basis. And often we just ignore the Holy Ghost. David, in this moment where he is surrounded by the Philistines and knows that he's put himself in a terrible predicament, he thinks and remembers the vows of God. What are the vows of God? The vows of God in David's life is you are king of the land and you will take the throne one day. I will deliver you from this, the Lord says. I've got a plan and a purpose for your life. Child of grace, this doesn't just apply to David. This applies to you. Do you know what that is? Do you know the plan that God has for your life? Do you know the purpose that he has for your life? (laughs) I can promise you it's not going to be some uh, famous blogger. It's not going to be some famous YouTube channel. It's not going to be something out of there in the world that consumes you in the land of the enemy. It's going to be the quiet and, and godly life that the Lord has called you to to serve and honor in whatever state that you're in. And David is realizing the vows that God has upon him. God does not have a vow upon you to be the king or the queen of of a nation like David here. But you know what it says in the New Testament? It says under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost that we are kings and priests of God. You're in the kingdom of God. And God sees you as a king and a priest, a queen and a priestess of God in the kingdom of God. He said, I don't really understand what that means. It's time to start learning what that means. The Holy Ghost will guide you into what that means. See, the Lord sees you as royalty. He sees you as kings and priests of God. Don't tell me you don't have purpose in this life. You have purpose. You have glorious purpose in your life. David saw that his purpose in this life, the vows of God were upon him. Not just the vows to be a king one day, to be the king that he was, and to rule and demonstrate that publicly one day, but he had the vows of God upon him for salvation, you see? He had eternal glory upon him because he was a chosen child of God. Thy vows are upon me, O God, I will render praises unto thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from death. Wilt thou not deliver my feet from falling? You see, he had fallen time and time again. Have you fallen, child of God? Have you stumbled? Have you fell? Have you found your face in the dirt? (laughs) Time and time again we find that. Trouble comes. Anxiety affects us. Fear comes upon us. You're no different than David. He found himself in the dirt many times. He says, deliver my feet from falling that I may walk before God in the light of the living. See, he was in the land of the enemy and he wanted to be delivered to walk in the light of the the living. And David was the silent dove of far off places when he was in the land of the enemy. Child of grace, you lose your voice. You lose influence. And you become just another madman in the land of the enemy relying upon the things of the enemy. It says that he feigned himself mad. The the picture here is of a man with his arms raised looking at a great sight. Because can you picture David? He's just going like a madman. Raving around, rolling on the ground, scratching on the doors, spitting spit coming out of his mouth and dribbling down his beard. And everybody looks at him. and See, these guys were very superstitious, by the way. This was the Philistines, by the way, many years before in the days when Samuel was a child that they had stolen the Ark of the Covenant in war. You remember that? And they put the Ark of the Covenant in the, in the temple of their false god, Dagon, the fish god. And they come in there the ne- next morning, you know, and the, and the fish god is, is laying down flat on the floor. 
in front of the Ark of the Covenant. And they come in, they put him back up, you know, because he can't help himself. The false gods of the enemy cannot help themselves. So they put him back up, and the next morning they come in, and he's down flat on his face, and his head's cut off, and his hands are cut off. Meaning that they have no hands, they have no brain, they have no head. The land of the enemy does not have anything for you, child of God. So the Philistines are very superstitious, and they're no doubt thinking back, you know, they're, they're a little unnerved by this madman. Do we have need of a madman? You know, they could have just tried to kill him. I believe the Lord would have divinely intervened and protected him like he had before. But part, part of the choice was just to kill him. Next choice was maybe let him live here in, a, in an asylum. They said, we don't need a madman. So David flees. And he departed thence and escaped to the cave Agilam. Listen, child of grace. Here's what the land of the enemy looks like. Ask yourself, are you living in the land of the enemy? I mean, I know we are because our, our home in heaven is far away. But are you utilizing the sources of the land of the enemy? The land of the enemy is a land of lies. Like David began to lie and move in the direction of the land of the enemy. The land of the enemy is a land of profanity. And I'm not just talking about curse words. You know, David did something profane in eating the showbread. God forgave him for it, but he should never have done it. He mixed the holy with the profane. The land of the enemy is the land of anger. The land of the enemy is the land of malice or ill will. The land of the enemy is the land of jealousy. And you know what all of that adds up to? It adds up to a child of God being miserable. The most miserable people on the face of the earth are God's children who are utilizing the resources in the land of the enemy. So let's don't be too hard on David. You know, if you just learned that your father-in-law was trying to kill you, you know, you'd be a little frantic. <laughs> he doesn't know where to go. The main reason he doesn't know where to go is because he hasn't asked God. Child of God, do you know where to go? Do you know what the Lord would have for you? Do you know your glorious purpose in this life? You're not going to know unless you ask. You're not going to know unless you sit still. I know whereof I speak, having fought many ridiculous directions for my life. And I finally got still. And you know what? I finally listened to the preaching of the gospel. I stand before you today because of the preaching of the gospel. It turned me. It changed me. It changed my thinking. I'm living for me. I need to live for the Lord. I need to find my purpose. And since the Lord showed me my purpose, I've never looked back. I've never thought, well, this is just maybe this wasn't the right way to go. I mean, we're all vexed with doubts and fears from time to time. But when you find your purpose, it's a glorious thing. Has David asked God one time yet? Lord, what would you have me to do? And you know, there was a time when David was walking so closely in the Spirit that he didn't even have to ask. Do you see David asking God one time about whether or not he should go out on the field to fight Goliath? He was walking with the Lord so closely that it was just like David's mind and heart was so in tune with the Spirit of God that he was walking in that Spirit, you see? That's amazing, isn't it? You say, well, I would love to experience that. Then get busy becoming a disciple of Christ. <laughs> Change your playlist. You know, do, get rid of the things you need to get rid of that take your mind and your eyes away from the Lord Jesus Christ and walk in the Spirit of God. You may find yourself where you don't have to ask so many questions. David didn't have to ask the question about whether or not to go fight Goliath. But he hasn't asked anything since then. Back in thinking about trials and troubles and anxiety and what fear does to us. There was a time in our lives as a family back in 1983 and 1984. To some of y'all, young guys, that's like 10,000 years ago. But I lived it. I saw 83 and 84. 
I was 11, 12, you know, 13 years old during that time frame. In 1983 and 1984 were dark, dark years on McCool Road. During the course of that time, my brother was almost killed in a farm accident. And shortly after that, my grandfather, McCool, passed away. And then within a year of that, my best friend in high school was, was killed by a, in a gun accident. And it was a dark and troublesome time. You know, and, and I look back and I think, how did we get through that? How did we make it? I'm telling you, it's by the grace of God. You're going to have dark and troubled times when you serve the Lord. But you've got to remember, you don't belong to the land of the enemy. You don't belong in the land of the enemy. So live as though you are a citizen and a resident with glorious purpose of another country, another place. This land of the enemy has nothing to offer you but anger and malice and ill will and lack of trusting. But child of grace, the sun's coming up. The day dawn will arise, not just in the future when the Lord comes, but if you'll let Him and you'll look, the day, star, the day star will rise in your heart from day to day as the mercies of God are renewed by day to day. Don't we need that? Don't seek refuge in the land of the enemy. And let me leave you with this. We're living in a day and time where we just can't trust the experts anymore. I'm talking about on all sides. We can't trust the experts, but you know what? We can trust one another. You know me. I know you. We could trust one another. Can you picture the Fox News view of what was going on with David and Gath versus the CNN view of what was going on with David and Gath? The pro-David view in this situation. I want you to think about this. I could hear the announcer say this. In an amazing act of deliverance, the future king of Israel in an Oscar-level performance raved like a lunatic, but in a valiant effort managed to escape the clutches of the wicked king of Gath. Although the report of why King David traveled to the land of the enemy is disputed, one thing is clear. Nothing will prevent this great man from leading the country as king one day, nor will any questionable decision he makes hinder his bright future as king of Israel. That makes me feel good to read that, doesn't it, you? But then you get on the anti-David side, and this is what it would say. In the most blatant and obvious act to date that proves without question David, the former shepherd boy, is not fit to lead, we now share with you footage of the so-called king of Israel frothing at the mouth, acting like a madman, scribbling on the doors in the nation of Gath. Based on this clear collaboration with a foreign king, there can be no doubt now that the so-called victory over Goliath was nothing more than a political move to take over the country, and that the so-called king was in league with the Philistines all the time. This footage proves that a secret conspiracy was in place to promote this shepherd boy as the future king. And as you can see in the footage, he is nothing more than a madman, not a monarch, and mentally incapable of leading a nation. Who do you want? You want the spin from either side? Or do you want the truth? You're not going to get the truth out in the world in the land of the enemy. Everywhere is the land of the enemy. But unless something's wrong with me, you're going to get the truth from me. And I trust that unless something's wrong with you, I'm going to get the truth from you. So we should draw near to one another and feed off of the truth. And it says in chapter 22, verse 1, that David departed Gath and escaped to the cave Adullam. And I can't wait to share with you the amazing, inspiring, uplifting psalm that he writes while he is at peace. Finally in the cave.